Good morning, church. It is so good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelsey Iverson, and I'm the youth coordinator here at church. And as we continue on with our service, I just wanted to share a few announcements with you for today. The first one that we wanted to make you guys aware of is that we did have to postpone our worship night that we were going to have tonight. So we will let you know as soon as possible what the next date of that is going to be. We are so excited to continue worshiping with you. Um, Yeah, so be on the lookout for the next date of our worship night. And then next up is for all of the ladies in the room. Women's ministry is going to be kicking off their their fall kickoff of their fall series here very soon. And they want to start off with hosting a bunco night here on campus. So it's going to be on August 19th at 6.30 p.m. And you are invited. This is such a sweet way to get to connect with the women of our church and meet new faces and old friends and just connect as we jump into a new season of women's ministry. So please join us on August 19th. And then for all the men in the room, it's our monthly men's breakfast. It's going to be coming up on August 26th at 7 a.m. Come enjoy some great food and fellowship with the men of our church. So you are invited to that. And then just uh, on behalf of the youth ministry team, I just wanted to extend my deepest gratitude and just say thank you to you guys. Um, We just got back on Wednesday from our mission trip in the Dominican Republic. We took a team of 20 uh, just graduated seniors and incoming seniors on a mission trip to the DR. And it was so special, so fun. God is so good and so faithful to us. Um, But I wanted to say thank you to you guys for your prayers and for your financial support and just praying for us and being with us as we have prepared for this journey for the last year. So thank you so much. We truly felt the impact of that. We are so grateful for our church family. And with that, we want to give you a little glimpse into our time in the DR. So would you turn your eyes to this? video. This is the Dominican Republic, a Latin American island in the middle of the Caribbean. Together, our four teams have traveled across the U.S. over 6,200 miles in the course of two days to the city of Harabacoa, where we've seen this, this, these, this, and drink coffee, like lots of coffee. We are here to joyfully serve the community of both the young and the young at heart, because we believe by empowering and partnering with indigenous leaders, cultures can truly transform. And for those of us serving, we can choose our passion, go deeper than ever before, and discover our true calling.
This week, I was at the appropriate technology site. Our goal is just to build uh, water filters, and then we teach the locals how to use it. After we built one of these, we were able to go into the community, and we installed one at the middle of the country. Like, we were passing cows, we were going up mountains and sliding down dirt. Like, it had rained the night before, so it was all sticky and muddy outside. And we get there, um, she welcomes us into her house. There was a language barrier, but um, I had the chance to translate which is super cool and we explained it to her and then after uh, she was just really grateful and she told us a little bit about her story and then we prayed over her in probably my favorite part we we did worship and like it was a mix of like English and Spanish so I thought that was super cool I'm Noella and I'm at the medical site this week in Harbacoa. For the community members who don't have access to affordable quality health care, they are made aware of these clinics that are in their communities where we go out and seek them out and make it easy for them to have their vitals taken and see a doctor and get the medicine that they need for themselves and for others that can't leave the home maybe. They're able to talk to a doctor and get to educate them and make them able to keep themselves healthy too.
So I'm Andrew and this is Alex. We were at the physical therapy site this week and you know something something that I wish I would have known before I went on this trip is to just have zero expectations like like honestly just coming in with a completely open mind and just being present in every moment is um, what I think is gonna make you have the best success on the trip. Yeah, that is an amazing, amazing opportunity for our students. And uh, our youth pastor, Josh, actually put that video together. And um, he wanted us clearly to feel like we were there, right? I mean, did a great job of helping us just to see. Come on over, guys. Um, And it was an amazing thing for our students to get to get outside of their world for a few minutes or for a few days and get to see the world as bigger than it is and really have their worldview expanded And that's a privilege that we have here at ABC as we're a part of different partnerships and global missions around the world, just to get to see the world as God sees it and start to um, have our horizons expanded a little bit. And speaking of expanding horizons, I wanted to introduce you to um, our friends Don and Kathy Allsman. Um, The Allsmans have been with World Impact. Um, They were with World Impact for over 30 years down in L.A. And some of you who've been around ABC a while remember we used to take our high school students down to L.A. In fact, we still do um, with some different partnerships. But um, we we took them down to give them an experience with serving the poor in the inner city with World Impact in LA. And Don and Kathy were there serving in the inner city for many, many years. And since then, God has given you a heart and a new call um, towards reaching unreached people groups. Don, how many unreached people groups are in the United States? Yeah, there are 386 unreached people groups in the U.S. People 300, is that what we said, 386? 386, 386, these are people groups that are in the United States, so they're expatriates who have come here, and now they're, uh, they're collected in communities. And if you say they're unreached, that means we don't have a substantial church planted within that uh, people group. Is that correct? That's yeah. right. Good job. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. So, so through their organization called Completion Global, Don and Kathy have decided, you know what, we could reach the unreached people groups right here in the United States if we're strategic about it. And so what they're doing is trying to connect resources, connect organizations and ministries that already exist um, to serve these communities and to see churches planted and established. So tell us, Don, a little bit about what you're doing in Dallas specifically and um, how those resources are starting to come together. Sure. Yeah, so we're excited about... uh coalition that we're developing in Dallas-Fort Worth of over 50 ministries that want to partner together to reach these unreached people groups in Dallas-Fort Worth and building some technologies that help for that collaboration uh, that ABC has helped us develop some of those. But we're especially excited to see how that can translate and expand to other cities across the country and just the changed lives of people coming to Christ uh, who are coming here from other countries and mobilizing the church to reach them. Yeah, that's amazing. And so right now, as the, um, as the Dallas network gets established, you're starting to think beyond Dallas and think maybe right. some of these networks could be formed in other metropolitan areas where 
the unreached people groups could get connected and we can start seeing churches planted. It's amazing. Um, in, in addition to that, God has given you guys both a, a really soft heart for prison ministry. And you guys wouldn't know this and she wouldn't say it, but uh, Kathy is like the godmother of prison ministry. She knows all of the, the organizations, the resources. She has relationships at all these places. If you call someone and, th- and ask hey, what does prison ministry look like in Tucson, Arizona? She's going to, oh, you know what? I know a guy in Tucson, and he goes into this prison, and he's been there for 15 years. She knows everybody. And so what, what unique opportunity as it kind of parlays to the unreached people groups um, that Kathy's been given is a training opportunity with prisoners um, because it just so happens that prisons are ethnic centers in our country. Is that right? So, Kathy, tell us a little bit about what your next step will be and what God is calling you to specifically with prison ministry. We've been invited into some prisons in North Texas to train um, guys that are serving life sentences that have had theological training. They're called field ministers in Texas. And we're allowed to go in, and I'm going to be training these field ministers how to do Dr. Don Davis's um, capstone curriculum. So then they're going to do it with other inmates that they're serving with. So it's kind of an indigenous movement that God is doing. It's very creative on his part. And so we just get to be a part of it. And and go train these field ministers. That's amazing. So you guys are going to be busy traveling to all these different prisons um, as a part of what you're doing to see some of the inmates who are equipped and ready to lead small groups and disciple other inmates with that curriculum. And that's an amazing, amazing work. So we're going to pray for them. Um, You guys uh, maybe are just meeting Don and Kathy for the first time. Um, but I wanted you to see their faces and connect the name to the face so that when we talk about the Alzmans and the work that they're doing in Dallas, um, you'll remember, oh yeah, I remember those nice looking people from Texas. Um, <laughs> young and vibrant people. Um, we're so excited that you uh, are willing to partner with us and there's a lot of opportunity um, you guys have with networks and churches and so we're honored that ABC gets to be a small part of what you're doing. Um, we are going to pray for you. We're going to support you and encourage you um, and we would love, if, for those of you that don't know, um, Don and Kathy have been, they, they're from Texas but they've been here for about a month now. Um, we've gotten some time to interact with them and get to learn about what God's doing in their ministry and they're heading back this week and so we want to pray for them as they go back and jump into a very full plate, busy schedule in the coming days and weeks. And so, thank you. Yeah, let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for Don and for Kathy. Lord, you have continued to show them what the next step in front of them is. Lord, you have uh, used them faithfully in LA. You've used them faithfully in um, Dallas. And now, Lord, as they think beyond the Dallas area to see what you might be doing in the prisons and then in other major metropolitan areas, I ask that you would lead them well with clarity. God, would you provide and protect them? God, would you continue to um, bring community around them? Um, may their church in Texas there be uh, an encouragement. May it be a family. May it be um, a place where they can find meaningful friendship and that they can grow together in community, and that you would draw many, many more dozens of of people along the way into the ministry that they're doing here, and that we would see fruit for the gospel. Lord, we know that the gospel has not reached the ends of the earth, and so we're still on mission. And Don and Kathy Osmond are at the very front, the tip of the spear, 
on this mission to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth until every tribe and every tongue will have the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ and will bow before you someday. We thank you for it, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. It's so good to have you this morning. We uh, really are blessed as a church, and we've said this before, but um, it's just a privilege that we get to be a part of so many of these different things organizationally and, and then with our own missionaries. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we were specifically partnering with uh, LifeWater in Ethiopia, and they were doing uh, well projects, so water, clean water projects there in Ethiopia and some of the underdeveloped communities Um, And we were able as a church to come alongside them and say, can we see small groups and churches planted, house churches planted in these villages as the water projects are happening? And that was a really fruitful project. And we were blessed to do that. And as a family in 2018, uh, we were reflecting on that project and and just simply asking, um, what might we do to help this process Um, And so as a family, we decided we wanted to contribute and our kids participated even. They jumped in um, and uh, we partnered with uh, LifeWater to support this project in Mender, Ethiopia, which was a little village that didn't have clean water. And so our kids uh, scraped together some money and they sacrificed a little bit. And we, for about 18 months, we supported this project to see clean water brought to Mender Village, Ethiopia. And at the end of 2020, um, that project was completed. And this is a photo of that um, where you can see a couple of kids in the two spigots and the water well that was put right there in the village. And for the first time, um, this village had clean water where they were able to do laundry and wash dishes, um, obviously to cook and to clean. Um, They were even able to put some of the resources into coffee crop to earn some money for the village. And it was an amazing victory and we were honored to be a part of it. And while this was happening, simultaneous to this project happening, back here in Atascadero, the Erkey family was remodeling their house and adding a room and a bathroom following the birth of our twins. And right around 2020, as this project was finishing, we were finishing this remodel. And just to give you a glimpse, a snapshot of what our home life looks like during that season, I wanted to show you a photo reel from my phone. I literally screenshotted my photo reel from December of 2020. And as you can see, there's bathroom finishes, there's tile finishes and flooring and some towel racks and some window coverings. And that's a picture of my latte down there in the middle. Um, And so this is our reality in December of 2020. There was a village who was dancing in the water that they had for the very first time. And the Erkies are struggling to pick out bathroom fixtures here in the United States. Did you know that if you go to homedepot.com and you type in bathroom faucet, that there are 23,000 choices. I kid you not, go try it. 23,000 choices. And I don't think that the disparity is lost on you. We have a, a village in Ethiopia with clean water for the first time, and we have a home in Atascadero with brass fixtures and towel racks and 23,000 choices for what that actual faucet will look like. And I don't need to say or remind you that we live in a land of excess. We are a very wealthy people. Now, maybe you've never gotten to remodel a bathroom and choose the fixtures in your home. But if you've ever walked into In-N-Out and chosen between double meat or animal fries, you are more wealthy than half of the world's population. 
The statistic says that if you have a net worth of $90,000, that's your vehicles, your bank accounts, your homeowner equity, your income, then you are in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. We are a rich culture with over half of the world's population living on about $3 a day. Now, I don't say all of that to make you feel guilty. That would be the Holy Spirit that's making you feel that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I do want this reality to sit in for us as I read this verse in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I read that and think, oh crud. I think that might be me. And I think we should let the weight of that sit on our shoulders for a minute this morning. There is good news in this passage. Trust me, we'll get there. There's a, a very positive, clear message of redemption here. But let's let this sit for a minute and see what Jesus is trying to get at for those of us in the room this morning as we read from Matthew chapter 19. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and I'll... I'll pray as we read his word. Father, would you speak clearly through your word? May it land on our hearts exactly as you intended it. And may it not be clouded by man's interpretation, but illuminated by the interpretation of the spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 19, 16 says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you, will have followed me with, follow, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, this is a teaching, as is many of Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew, on the kingdom of God. 
value systems of the kingdom of God, the appropriate order in the kingdom of God, which is backwards from the order of the world, right? Jesus finishes this like he finishes other teachings where he says, by the way, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Just remember, the kingdom of God is upside down. It's inverted from the way that you think about the kingdom of the world. And so his teaching, the point of this teaching is that the kingdom of God is upside down. However, this is a clear teaching on material wealth. It's, it's not open for interpretation. This isn't a parable. It's not a metaphor. This is a recorded scene where a man who is rich comes up to Jesus, has a conversation with him. Jesus says some hard things and the man goes away sad. That's what happens here. So there's no two ways around us taking this passage for what it is as a teaching on material wealth. But... It's interesting to me, it's clear to me that there's another reason why Jesus specifically says to this man to sell everything you have. He doesn't say this to other people. Notice, in fact, I don't know if he says it anywhere else in Scripture, but you've got a rich man named Zacchaeus who Jesus goes to his house and he doesn't tell Zacchaeus to sell all the things he had. In fact, Zacchaeus only got, got rid of half of the things that he had. Or what about the prominent leader, Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus at night and he's wrestling with this idea of the kingdom, the coming kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Nicodemus, you need to sell everything you have. That's the primary principle. Sell it all. No, he gives them a whole different kind of teaching. Or he doesn't come to this woman at the well and say, you need to sell everything you have. It's not for Mary. It's not for Jairus. It's not for Peter. Jesus doesn't often say sell everything you have, but why this man then? What was the difference here in this scenario? It wasn't just that he was rich. There was other rich people. I think the indication is in the law. I think the clue lies in the way that Jesus leads up to this statement. The law, as we often see, exposes sin. The law reveals our heart. It's the purpose of the law. And it's interesting that Jesus would use the law in this scenario to help us see the indicators of this man's heart that were keeping him from the kingdom of God. Look back in verse 18. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting that Jesus riddles off, like kind of rattles off a few of the Ten Commandments, right? Is that starting to sound familiar? Like, yeah, I remember those commandments. That sounds like the Ten Commandments. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, there are Ten Commandments listed. And let me read them for you just to refresh your memory. I'm just going to pick them through the... Uh, Verses here because they're spread out a little bit, but I'll read through each of these Ten Commandments, starting with, You shall have no other gods before me. That's verse 3. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. That's an idol. Uh, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and finally, you shall not covet. Jesus jumps right to that last part of the list. Did you notice verse 13 in Exodus 20? He says, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet. Jesus goes right after this list 
with this man, I think intentionally, because Jesus does everything with intention, and he starts with the laws that have to do with this man's relation to the world, his relation to others. If you were to divide the Ten Commandments into two categories, you have the first half of the commandments, which are dealing with our relationship to God. The second half of the commandments, five through 10 or six through 10, dealing with our relationship with others. So Jesus jumps right on those and he goes, okay, well, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. He goes through the, this list, he even skips over the first part of the Shema, if you notice, love your neighbor as yourself, but he left out the part that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Interesting he left that out. Because I think Jesus knew and understood these were easy boxes to check off for this man. Check, check, check. Okay, yeah, steal, lie, kill. I'm good, I'm good. Okay, yeah, Jesus, I got that. But he doesn't go after the first half because he knew the law would reveal his sin. You see, the law is neutral. Romans 7, Paul talks about this whole idea of the law just being a mirror, just exposes our heart. So he runs through the things that wouldn't expose anything first. And Jesus didn't even bother to say, what about the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. He didn't even bother because he didn't have to. Instead, he said, why don't you go sell what you have? Oh, not willing to do. Oh, that's, that's held in high regard. Oh, that seems to be maybe that's a God. See, this man had another God. In fact, he probably had a thousand other gods. He was not willing to sell the things he had. There was something on the pedestal of his heart in place of God. So he didn't even bother. He didn't have to. All he had to do is tell him to take an action. Go sell it. Because he would have been tempted if he said, do you have any other gods before me? Well, check. I think. Then go sell them. See, he's calling his bluff before he even has to bluff. And Jesus very clearly and like a surgeon exposes the layers of this man's heart by using specific laws to address specific things and leaving out the ones that he knew would be glaring as cancer. He had other gods. The law exposes sin. And the unfortunate thing that we come up against is that the law demands perfection. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, okay, so you have all the laws covered, then if you would be perfect, then go do this. See, the law demands perfection. This conversation starts with the man asking what good deed he must do, and Jesus quickly corrects him in verse 17. Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. You know that you can't do any good thing to inherit eternal life. But the words of Jesus begin to echo in my mind from Matthew chapter 5. If you remember all the way back, it's probably been a year since we were in Matthew chapter 5. But there is this very difficult teaching on the law followed by this line from Jesus where he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And here he's coming back at it again. If you would be 
perfect. You want to talk about good deeds? He says to the man, okay, let's talk about good deeds. How are the 613 laws going for you? Perfect. You got all those boxes checked? And remember back to the beginning of chapter 5 where Jesus is teaching, it's not just the thing that you do, it's the thought you have about the thing that you do. Remember, it's not just not kill, it's having hatred in your heart. It's not just not committing adultery, it's believing in your heart or lusting after a woman in your heart, committing adultery, adultery in your mind. It's not just the outward laws, it's also your heart. How could anyone, this is what the disciples say, how could anyone then receive eternal life? And we get to that same climactic moment in Matthew chapter 5 where we go, who in, their, in the world could be perfect. We get to this tension and we feel a bit hopeless. Remember also in the context of this teaching that this was a society that revered wealth. So in their minds, if anyone's going to receive eternal life or if anyone's going to have favor in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be the wealthy, right? Because they come from a long line of people who were blessed by God. Their forefathers were blessed with land and crops and gold and honey and livestock from God. So if you were rich, you were inherently blessed by God. Therefore, you must have had favor with God. Therefore, if anyone is going to receive eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, then certainly it would be the rich. But in this case... Jesus says quite the opposite. He says, no, it's only with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 26, he looks at them, feeling their tension, experiencing the discord of thinking that there's no possible way if a rich man can't inherit the kingdom of heaven, then certainly not me, a poor fisherman. There's no way. What am I supposed to do? So Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. You're right. You've got to figure it out. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, the law exposes sin, and the law demands perfection in light of that sin. But the good news is the law has been fulfilled that the law has been resolved by Jesus Christ. The, the camel, the proverbial camel, has been threaded through the eye of a needle. Don't miss the wordplay there. The, there's some scholars that think the word camel is um, mistaken for the word, the Greek word that's used for rope. And so they're like, it's, he just meant to say rope through a needle, as if that's less hard, but... It's impossible. A camel doesn't go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. With man, it's impossible. But with God. See, here's the thing about this whole scenario. It would have been a, an important step for this man to sell everything he had. It would have been helpful. It would have been beneficial in his spiritual growth. But Jesus knew that the sin of idolatry bled too deep into his heart for it to be resolved with a simple step of obedience. It wasn't that he just needed to take one step. It was that he needed a new heart. That it was impossible for him to inherit eternal life. 
He needed to be born again. It's that conversation back to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus is wrestling and trying to make sense of what is this, is this the Messiah and is this the, what's the coming kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. Your heart is wicked. Your heart of flesh is idolatrous. Your heart will always wander. Your heart will always be distracted. Your heart will always run to something else. What you need is a new heart. And the only way you can get a new heart is by following someone who kept all 613 laws. Someone who was perfect the way our Heavenly Father is perfect. Someone who laid that perfect life down as a sin sacrifice, dying once and for all so that all of our wrongs could be made right and that we could receive a new heart. That's the only way a rich man can enter the kingdom of heaven. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about the step, although the step was important. But the needle's been threaded. The camel went through. The impossible was made possible. While we were still sinners, it says in Romans chapter 5, God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then earlier in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rich or poor, idolatrous or lustful or greedy or liar, all have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the call of this rich man was way more than selling all of his stuff. But it wasn't less than that. See, in order for us to embrace that beautiful, perfect faith in Jesus Christ, in order for this man to thread the camel through the eye of a needle, he would have had to release the grip that he had on his stuff. It was an important step. It would have cost him something, but it would have gained him everything. And here's the challenge the place that we sit this morning. Here's the difficult thing about where we are. For thousands of years, our ancestors, our forefathers, if you want to call them that, the people who have gone before us, the people of God, Israel, have been making little images, little idols, little figurines that they've put up on a pedestal, believing that somehow that thing was going to give them something or bless them or provide something or protect them. And now fast forward several thousand years later and we're making all kinds of little figurines but the difference is we are in a utilitarian society that values usefulness, right? So your car gets you from point A to B and in your mind justifiably, therefore it's not an idol. It's a, it's a, it's a tool. My car is a tool. Just because it's useful doesn't make it any less an idol. Now, some of you are thinking, have you seen my car? My car is not an idol. (laughs) It's true. I got one of those. It's not an idol too. But also, on the flip side of that, just because your things are useful, just because you use your phone or you use your bike or your wine or your patio or your Peloton or your coffee, I don't know what the thing is that you have that you use, doesn't mean it's not an idol. 
it also doesn't mean that having that thing is an idol. See, this is the really tricky thing about this teaching. It's not binary. It's a heart issue. Is that thing on the pedestal of your heart in place of Jesus? Or is it not? And see, the, the prescription of Jesus in this is if, is if he's a doctor, right? The rich man comes to Jesus and he's like, okay, I've got all the symptoms here. I checked the boxes of the law. And Jesus says, well, why don't you go sell all of your stuff? Oh, it turns out I'm going to diagnose you with idolatry because you're unwilling to sell your things. The doctor Jesus says, idolatry, diagnosis, prescription, sell your stuff and give it away. That's the ultimate antidote for idolatry is giving stuff away because generosity severs the cord between your heart and your stuff. If you aren't willing to give it away, you probably should. If you're willing to give it away, you could probably keep it. Do you get it? It's almost as simple as that. Notice Jesus didn't say just sell your stuff. He says, sell your stuff and give it to the poor. It's a two-part antidote. Get rid of your stuff and give it to somebody else because generosity ends up being the antidote for our idolatry. So the question becomes, we process through a passage like this. We think about the 23,000 faucet choice and we sit here in a room like this going, we have so much. It sounds like a teaching on a rich person is about me. What do I do? And we ask the question that the disciples are asking, the resounding question, can a rich man have eternal life? And the answer is absolutely. By the forgiveness of the cross and embracing faith in Jesus Christ and placing him and him alone on the pedestal of your heart. You begin to love him more than all that you own. And when you love him and when you serve him, it becomes very easy to get rid of your things. Trust me. Because when you and I come together in a room like this and we begin to marvel at the amazing grace of our Jesus Christ, when we're overwhelmed by the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ. When we can look at the miracle of Christ and we can see our life in perspective of eternity, our stuff really doesn't matter. Take it. You guys want it? Anybody need anything? Want a faucet? Take it, right? That's the point. Take your stuff off the pedestal of your heart. We're going to take communion together this morning. And as our ushers go get ready for passing the elements, I want you to consider a very basic and simple question. And there are times in communion where we spend, um, spend time genuinely examining our hearts and confessing sin. And certainly idolatry is, is a sin. And so this is a, a more specific version of that this morning where I want you to ask when the elements are being passed, when you're sitting here just in quiet reflection, the band's just going to play some soft music behind uh, me here. And I want you to simply ask yourself, is my stuff on the pedestal of my heart? Is my stuff worth giving away for Jesus? Am I willing? 
And then you might even need to take a little bit of inventory. You think, my car, no, easy, done, give that away. I can give, you know, I got these boots, so I don't need the boots. Whew. The bike, and then get the bike. Go through the list. And if you get up to something, you're like, ooh, yeah, this one's pretty hard. I don't know. I don't know if I could leave the room right now and give that away. That may be the very thing that God wants to refine in your heart and to remove that as an idol. Allow for him to speak that to you. Allow for the Holy Spirit to convict you if that's the case. And maybe even in the room this morning, make a decision. The decision might be having two of something and you want to only have one starting tomorrow. I don't know what the decision is. I'll allow God to lead that. But take this time to take the inventory and ask, is there something on the pedestal of my heart in place of Jesus? Let me pray. Father, we really see a lot of clarity in your teaching this morning in that we are imperfect and prone to idolize. We're prone to take. We're prone to lie. We're prone to let our minds wander. And what you want for us is more than that. So, Father, would you replace the idols of our hearts with the personhood of Jesus and the truth of what you accomplished for us? And may we redeem every bit of our brokenness through the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. In your name I pray, amen.
so thankful for verse 26 that Jesus resolves the tension of this moment that with man, this is impossible. It's impossible for those of us who are in a land of plenty to not be drawn to place our hope in things. He knew that it was impossible for those who were trained to keep the law to keep all 613. He knew that it was impossible for those of us who battled the flesh-driven insecurity of who we are to fully surrender and place our security and identity in him. He knew that it was impossible for us to have a new heart. And that's why he says with such clarity and such hope, with God, all things are possible. And that is what communion represents, the possibilities of new life, the possibility of a new heart, the possibility of serving Christ, the possibility of eternal life, of new identity, of correctly placed hope because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so this morning we remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by his broken body on the cross, making the impossible possible. We take together the bread. And we remember the shed blood. We remember the atoning sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by shedding his blood, forgiving us of all of the wandering sin so that we could be new. We take the cup together. Father, thank you for making the impossible possible. We're so grateful. May we place you rightly on the throne and the pedestal of our heart. In your name I pray, amen.
I think as we reflect on a passage like this, it's easy for us to, to think, man, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be uh, content with the things that I have. I should, I should be willing to let go of those things to pursue Christ. And that's true if those are your gods. So the reality is that you could be a billionaire and be generous and serving and loving Jesus as Lord and Savior with just as much honor and glory as the next person. Or you could be poor and without anything and clinging on to things with just as much depravity as a rich person. It's a question of of where your heart is. So as you go, my hope is that you would feel encouraged by the things that were made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. The impossible was made possible. It's a good, it's a good message, a good news message for us this morning as we look at Matthew 19. Uh, we have a unique opportunity today. It's actually someone's birthday and we don't celebrate birthdays often because when we do, then everybody wants to celebrate their birthday. But I tell you this, um, if you turn 100 years old, then you can celebrate your birthday here at ABC too. Um, so Harold Seiler, who's been a longtime member of ABC, um, he comes to the 1045. And so you may not have seen him often, sits right back there in the back. He'll be back here at 1045. He's not in the service, but uh, my, uh, the rumor is he's already here and on campus. And over by the cafe, um, there's going to be cake and Harold will be sitting over there. So walk on by Harold, uh, give him a handshake or a hug and tell him happy birthday. Um, His birthday is this Wednesday, August 9th, and he is turning 100. Think about what was happening in the world in 1923. I mean, like that's an accomplishment. He made it through all that. So um, we're going to celebrate Harold. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for joining us this morning and we'll see you back here next weekend.